to get over it, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We have had a very interesting, fantastic show today. We're going to be speaking with John Michael Greer, and we're going to be talking about his latest book, The King in Orange, The Magical and Occult Roots of Political Power. Now, you guys know I always talk about that orange thing in the White House. So we're going to get some background on what I call the orange thing in the White House and how and when and why um, it came into power, you know. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what side of the fence you sit on, it's raising its head again. So this is going to be a great show to give you some concrete information based in spirituality and magic as to what's really going on in real life today. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, Intuitive Since Birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, nesmoniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. My guest today, John Michael Greer, is a highly respected writer, blogger, and independent scholar who has written more than 70 books, including The Long Descent, Circles of Power, and the award-winning New Encyclopedia of the Occult, an initiate in a variety of hermetic, masonic, and druidic lineages, I can't say that. He served for 12 years as the Grand Archdruid of the ancient order of druids in america he lives in rhode island with his beautiful wife and you can check him out um, for his blogs at his website and that's ecosophia.net e-c-o-s-o-p-h-i-a.net welcome john thank you it's a pleasure to be on Hey, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for writing this book. I read a lot of political books, and um, this was very refreshing because it gives a different viewpoint. Now, you're coupling magic and politics, so let's start mm -hmm. with basics. What do you consider magic so that the audience and you and me are all on the same page? That's, that's a very important thing because, of course, that word magic gets used for so many things, um, some of them very useful, some of them nonsense, some of them, um, well, we don't have to get into that. The definition that I like to use is the one that was introduced by Dion Fortune, one of the, one of the really crackerjack magical practitioners mm -hmm. of the 20th century. 
And her definition was that magic is the art and science of causing change in consciousness in accordance with will. And that's a very that's, that's a very taut description. It's got a lot of there's a lot packed into that. But magic is about consciousness. It can be about your consciousness. It can be about the consciousness of other people's. It can also be about the consciousness of thing of non-human things. Of course, mages and people who practice magic recognize that the consciousness exists outside of these lumps of meat we call human brains. Mm-hmm. So it's changing consciousness, and it's according according to will. It's not just random. You choose how you want to change your consciousness, and you make it happen. So that's the definition that I use in this book and elsewhere. Okay, so it's a whole lot different than what you see on TV and, you know, with Harry okay. the witches, oh, yeah. whatever. Oh, every, every, every single time I end up having a conversation with people who, who have no exposure to magic, one <laughs> of the first things that always come up is, so this isn't like that Harry Potter stuff, is there? I have to go, no, no. this is not Harry <laughs> Potter stuff. You cannot wave a wand in the air and shout ungrammatical Latinus or some such nonsense. And you don't know, have, have fireballs go zipping off it. <laughs> uh, no, no, just you like know, that. <laughs> you know, too bad, so sad, but no, that's not the way it works, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't, but you've studied magic for quite some time, starting at mm-hmm. an early age. You said that you were a socially awkward child. So oh, yeah. how did magic come into your life? Uh, let our viewers know so that they can follow us through our journey here. Okay, sure. Um, basically, growing up in the South Seattle suburbs, out, out near Seattle, Washington, in a typical American suburban lifestyle of the 1960s and 1970s, that is to say, boring. <laughs> I was bored out of my skull. And I, I desperately wanted to think and to believe that the world was not as one-dimensionally tepid as as the media and the schools and everybody else insisted it had to be. So I was I was I was into everything weird. Um mm-hmm. I was into I was an expert on werewolf trivia at the end of, at the age of ten. That kind of geeky kid. But oh. As, over the years, as, as, I, as I, you know, dug my way through weird stuff, I kept on running across references to magic, not just as, you know, something in fairy tales, something in fantasy novels, which I devoured, by the way, um, but as something people actually did. And so, because being a socially, you know, a socially inept bookworm, as I was at the time, um, I spent a lot of time digging through books, and I finally found some actual books giving some basic training, some some exercises, some rituals, some practices. And I started doing this stuff and going, whoa, this actually works. So that was all she wrote. Since then, I've, you know, I, was, I was like 16 at the time, that it really sank in. This was not make-believe. It was not fairy tale. It was actually causing changes in how I experienced the world. I wanted that. I wanted that so bad I could see straight. So um, from then on, I have been a student and practitioner of this of, of magic and its various related arts. And um, it's, it's I suppose it's an odd thing to specialize in, but that's what I did. Hey, that's you. And thank you for being <laughs> you. I greatly appreciate it. So how does magic relate to politics then? Because, you know, you're saying that yeah. magic is a change in consciousness according to will. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't will that orange thing into the White House. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say. Yes, but, Let me call yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, but that's, that's just it. That's just, we're, we'll, get, we'll get in 
how, how the how the king in orange found his way into the White House, because mm-hmm. that actually does have to do uh, quite a bit with magic on various kinds of things. Generally speaking, though, magic relates to politics in two in two ways. Um, we we can assume just as a matter of course that most in most societies you end up with power the ability to make change in the world being unequally divided there are some there are usually a small number of people who have most of it and most people are left with very little of it that doesn't mean they can't change their own lives that doesn't mean they can't change their own consciousness but in terms of directing the way the society their society is going to go mm-hmm. it tends to be a mon- that that kind of power tends to be monopolized by a very few and so what you get is people trying to change their consciences in two different ways people who are inside those circles of power inside that um, that minority that has political um, political authority, they want to change their consciousness to convince themselves that everything is fine and they are the people who should have power. They are the good people. They are morally better than the people they rule. They're wiser. They're smarter, and nothing can possibly go wrong, because that's what they want to believe. Mm-hmm. Then outside. That, that the sort of circle of the political class, you have all kinds of people who are trying to use power. They, they, they want power over their lives. They want to be able to change what's happening to them. They face this wall of political authority that may not let them do that. And so many of them turn to magic. Many of them turn to it because that's an angle of power. If you have power of nothing else, you have power over your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn to exert power through your consciousness, you can actually change your life and make things happen. So in, in, in America, let's, let's say America before 2016, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good example, a classic example. You have um, a relatively modest percent of, the, percent of the population that had most of the political power, that decided what was going to be discussed on the media, what was going to be voted on, what was going to be brought up in Congress or state legislatures. It wasn't Joe and Jane Average. Mm-hmm. It was members of the political class. And so they had been for quite some time getting very deep into the kind of magic that political classes do to convince themselves that everything is fine. A kind of, a kind of spirituality light. <clears throat> About as filling as light bird, but we don't have to get into that. But mm-hmm. they, had their very, they, they had this very specific rap that we all heard, you know, that, that we're the smart people. We know, you know, we're the experts. We're the educated ones. We know what's what. And your job is to listen to us and to do what we tell you. Mm-hmm. Elite classes usually do that. And then you had an enormous amount of people outside there who were, um, who were not getting their needs met. And that in itself would not have been a big deal, except for many of these people, the situation had been getting much worse year by year as time went on. The thing that nobody in the political class wants to talk about, the thing you, the media generally will just pretend is not happening. When I, when I was a kid, okay, the late 1960s, early 1970s, okay, mm-hmm. a family of four with one working class income could afford a home, a yeah. car, um, health care, three meals a day, all the necessities of life on one working class income. Mm-hmm. In 2015, a family of four with one working class income was living on the street. That was a huge change. It was literally the most explosive political change of our time, and nobody in power would talk about it, except to blame the people who were landing on the street. Oh, it's just because you didn't get an education. Well, you know, Millions of people tried to get an education. The jobs weren't there, and they were just left saddled with the debt. There were all kinds of gimmicks like this. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that rendered this whole gap explosive. 
and that made it possible for um, an, for, for an ambitious uh, real estate dealer um, and reality TV show host to um, find his way into the White House. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, we can get into more. There, there were more details than that. It's more complex than that. But that was what caught, that was what made that what opened the door for that because he was willing to speak to the needs of those people who were not being listened to. He was willing to say, "Let's look about. Let's look at the way our job, jobs have been offshored for the last fifty years. Let's mm-hmm. look at this. Let's look at that. Let's look at the other thing." And the political class melted down. I mean, you, I'm sure you remember the moment Donald Trump declared his candidacy. <laughs> people, the media went ape. The, the, mm-hmm. the pundits went crazy. The politicians practically wet themselves right there on the, on the mm-hmm. podium. No, 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 you can't possibly say that. No, no, no. Ah, It was really quite funny. Yeah, it was funny, but in another sense, quite sad that, you know, I remember in my mind, so, you know, forgive me, I, I'm, I'm old, um, him coming <laughs> on the escalator with um, the woman next to him, because I even refused to acknowledge her, and spewing, <laughs> um, I do, that, and that's my, you know, my hang up, um, but spewing hate, you know, the Mexicans were rapists and this and that and the other, I remember my dad way back in the day dealing with mm-hmm. trump's dad and i didn't know it was trump's dad at the time based on the story mm-hmm. he was telling me trying to get property in new york and being you know shut down shut out no even having mm-hmm. someone who was lighter than he was be the front person and when it came mm-hmm. to him to make that move it couldn't happen so how could all of these people that were disenfranchised on some level support the other side of that orangeness. I, that's what boggles my mind. Now, keep in mind, the problem here was precisely that the elite classes melted down the way they did. Mm-hmm. Many, many people in the, in the working classes, and I mean working classes of all colors, of all ethnicities, right. okay? many people in the working class at this point assume that when somebody in a suit stands up in front of them and says something, they're lying. And they have good reason to think this. Because they've been lied to so many times mm-hmm. by so many people in suits. So if when Donald Trump declared his candidacy, somebody, anybody in the Democrats and the Republicans had said, well, you know, there are some issues here involving how, uh, you know, the, the lack of opportunity for our working class people. There are some issues here involving the way that illegal immigration, not, not legal immigration, everyone's okay with that, including the, the Trump administration, but illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how that's being used to drive down wages and benefits. If anybody had responded that way, Trump would never have gotten anywhere. But the fact that the, fact that the entire political class immediately started shrieking at the top of their lungs, a lot of people went, ooh, this upsets them. Let's vote for them. And because they were used to being lied to, they assumed they were being lied to, but when the media talked about Trump's attitude toward people of color. Mm. One of the problems that happens when, when you have a system that runs on lies, as ours does, is that people stop believing it even on those occasions when it tells the truth. And so, you know, it was one of those... Uh, I, I also talked to a lot of people. At, the, at that time, I was living in the north central Appalachians in a very poor town. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to a lot of people who ended up voting for Trump. They didn't like him. They didn't like him at all. 
Mm-hmm. But they were saying, look, if we vote for Clinton, it's going to be four more years of the same thing, and we're being driven against the wall. If we vote for Trump, ju- maybe, just maybe, there will be a chance that things will get better. They didn't like him, but they were desperate. Okay. Millions of people still are. And so, I mean, the, the thing is, the, the, when, pe- when people on the left these days talk, oh, Nazi this, Nazi that, why did Adolf Hitler become Chancellor of Germany? He became Chancellor of Germany because the German people were desperate. They were, they were impoverished. They were starving. They had a, a government that was not listening to them. And so finally, in desperation, they turned to a crackpot with a toothbrush mustache because he was the only one who offered anything different. This is the problem we face in America today. If the political classes just keep on offering the same thing, more handouts to the well-to-do, more um, you know, ever, ever increasingly less to the working classes and to the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, here, let's have a, you know, a few crumbs from the table in welfare, but nothing real, no opportunity, no hope. Then the next crackpot who comes along is going to get an even larger percentage of the working class vote because what else, what else are they being offered? What hope do they have if all they're getting is the same thing? Okay, that I hear okay. and I agree with. What bothers me with all uh-huh. this is that that energy is resurfacing again. So they voted for mm-hmm. it once because they wanted mm-hmm. something different, something better. In mm-hmm. my opinion, they got nothing. Would they you, how, vote how again? How many of them have you? How many of these people have you asked? How oh. many working class people have you in flyover states? Have you talked to? I know Why people who talk quite, about some, uh, quite a few, but they and they think that um, his policies are good, which mm-hmm. kind of like blows me away. Um, mm-hmm. he really doesn't have any policies except hate. Um, but <laughs> that, that you see, you're, you're, you're listening. You're listening to the media too much. In okay. fact, he had some very spe- he had some very specific policies which put a lot more money into the hands of people in the flyover states. By decreasing illegal immigration, he kept mm-hmm. that from driving wages down. By um, by uh, putting a break on the offshoring of jobs, there was more employment in factory jobs. A whole range of unemployment in the African American community dropped like a rock during his time in office. That wasn't. There are policies there. The media is shrieking and insisting there are none, and that's mm-hmm. why the flyover states were going hold it. This actually worked for us. Now. Again, if we can get someone who does not have that, who does not have the attitudes, the, you know, these objectionable attitudes, okay, mm-hmm. who, but who is willing to offer the working class something other than a continuation of policies that is driving them into poverty and misery, then the entire risk that, that, you know, of, of a revival of, the, of Trumpismo is going to go away. Mm-hmm. Because these people don't care about that. They want jobs. They want full-time jobs at decent pay. If you give them that, that's all they want. Okay. So in your book, you and if and, and Trump is the and Trump is the only, was the only one who was offering policies that would make that happen. And that's this is why either the Democrats or the Republicans, somebody has to take that away from him, mm-hmm. or he's going to be back in two in three more years. Mm, that's frightening. Um, very frightening. You had mentioned in your book, you talked about um, the difference between um, how people lump Hispanics, you know, into all the different flavors. Okay. 
Well, yeah. Uh, um, and that uh, the Cubans actually in Florida helped Trump get elected. They tend mm -hmm. to be Republican. I, I, I struggle to figure out why. I mean, maybe it's because of what oh. they promise. You know, I don't know, but I just. No, no. Okay. Um, there it's quite simple. The thing mm -hmm. is, the, the Cubans in Florida got there because their, because their homeland was taken over by a communist revolution. Mm -hmm. And it became a communist police state. So they have, um, understandably, a great deal of suspicion of the of very of leftist political parties, and because they see those as being way too close, it's, you know, especially nowadays where you have a lot of people on the left, like like um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who are basically talking out of the Marxist playbook. They get very upset about that. Many of them have had had family members, you know, thrown in prison for life or shot by the Castro regime. And so that's why they did that. Generally speaking, yeah. Um, now, you're in California, as I recall, where the vast yeah. majority of Hispanics, I believe, I know it's been a long time since I've been out there, but the great majority of Hispanics there are Mexican. And mm -hmm. here on the East Coast, one of the things that you get used to is that it ain't necessarily so. The neighborhood I live is largely Portuguese-American, for example. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and, in fact, to the extent that, that um, I, I have to know a little bit of Portuguese just to get my comfortable, you know, to be able to say bom dia to somebody and, and what have you. Um, mm -hmm. I don't object to that at all. It's, um, it's, a very, it's a very nice, pleasant neighborhood. But there's a lot of difference. There's a lot of ethnic diversity among the different Hispanic nations. Um, and a lot, of people, a lot of people on the left tend to miss that, and they tend to think Hispanic equals Mexican, and Mexican equals um, particular attitudes that are held mostly by some politically active Mexican-Americans. So that, that, was, that was the point there. Okay. Um, question that's not on our list to talk about, but, you know. Go ahead. You're a guy who thinks on his feet. And folks, he knows his book. A lot of that you're, he's talking about is right from his book. So if It's right on the book, yeah. <laughs> no, well, some, you'd be amazed. Okay. I know. Uh, trust me. Amazed. I would not be amazed. I've seen <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. And of course, with all that, I lost my train of thought. But um, what information would you have for the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the Independent Party, the Green Party? Mm -hmm. the party, the strike party, whatever party it is, what would you say to them to help them, first of all, raise consciousness and truly be mm -hmm. effective with running an effective campaign with someone who could possibly get some work done? Exactly. Um, there, there are two major steps that have to happen here. The first is to get it, well, the, the impolite way is to say that a lot, of the, a lot of the people in the political class, in effect, have their heads stuck up, well, someplace mm -hmm. where the sun doesn't shine. Yeah, for, all for all practical purposes, they, some of them have it stuck so far, I think they're digesting their own hair. <laughs> um, and the, but my, my point in that rudeness is that an enormous number of people in political life today live in these little bubbles where they never get outside of the bubble of their own class. Mm. I want to stress that word, so, the, that, the concept of social class. We, in America today, people love to talk about race, and they should. People love to talk about gender. People love to talk about um, uh, sexual orientation, and so on. There are all these, thing, all these dividing lines that people love to talk about. Start talking about social class and watch the temperature drop like a rock. And yet that's one of the really big divisions in our society between people in the comfortable classes and everyone else. 
And so the first thing I would encourage um, politicians of any party to do is get outside the bubble and get um, advisors from outside the bubble. Don't just listen to the college-educated, well-manicured, well-groomed, highly professional um, groupthink advocates who are just going to tell you to repeat the same policies that have failed so miserably for the last half century. Get outside the bubble, go, go into flyover country, go sit in a bar, explain who you are and say, what do you think needs to happen to get this country back on its feet. Mm-hmm. And you'll get an earful. Trust me, I've done this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, go to, go to the church barbecues and go to the, you know, and just get outside that bi-coastal, airtight, hermetically sealed bubble of, of official, officially acceptable opinion. And that's where you're going to get the new policies. That's where you're going to get the ideas that might actually help get this country out of its, out of its downward slump which has been going on for many years now. So that's the first thing. The second thing is learn a little history, folks. Because again, we have seen this kind of thing has happened before. We're in the process of, of watching how a democracy dies. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pull an example out of ancient history. Okay, Rome used to, be, used to be a republic, right? There was the Roman Republic, and then there was the Roman Empire. What happened? What happened was that the Roman Republic, the government of the Republic, became basically the wholly owned property of a bunch of very rich people who, you know, bought and sold Senate seats in the Senate, does this sound familiar? And who pushed through policies that benefited them at everyone else's expense, does this sound familiar? Until eventually so many people were left out, and so many people were miserable, and so many people were impoverished, that they turned to an ambitious guy. He wasn't a reality TV star, but an ambitious guy named Julius Caesar. You've heard of him. Mm-hmm. And Caesar took power. And he held power for a little while, and then there was a conspiracy among the, um, among the senatorial class, among the very, very rich. I mean, people like Brutus and Cassius, those guys were millionaires. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of him. Now, they did it by way of, by way of stabbing him in the forum rather than you know, by getting him voted out. But they got rid of him. But they didn't change any of the policies. They said, okay, now we've gotten rid of that. We're going to go right back to doing things the way we've been doing them. Everything's fine now. Uh, They didn't last that many years. And what happened was that um, Julius Caesar's nephew, Octavian, took over in uncle's place, declared himself Augustus Caesar, and that was the end of the republic. Mm. Democracies die when they become, when the government becomes the wholly owned property of a bunch of rich people, and the rich people don't have the common sense to realize that the poor can be only pushed too far, can only be pushed so far before they're going to blow up, before they're going to throw their support to some plausible demagogue who, crazy as he may be, bright orange as he may be, <laughs> um, is at least willing to offer them something different, is willing to offer them some policies, some actual policies that might, that might make their lives better. So this is the thing. I mean, the Julius Caesar thing was so obvious. On my blog, people took to calling Donald Trump the orange Julius. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like the soft drink. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah>. and, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, because it was so it was so obvious. And so what we've you know, we've we've had our Ides of March, um, or Ides of November as it was in this case. Um and um our Julius Caesar is out of power, but that doesn't mean that any of the problems have been solved. 
That just means that you have, you, you have the same crew in power in Washington, D.C. again. And unless they get a clue, unless they learn from history, you know, it may not be Trump next time. It might be Donald Trump Jr. It might be any of the other, what, half dozen ambitious Republicans that are very obviously positioning themselves to run for the presidency in 2024. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. But, um, let yeah, me cut yeah. you off and ask this because my mind won't hold it. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. It could be, like you said, any one of these people that you just spoke about, but and uh-huh. I lost it just that quickly. Uh, <laughs> oh, my, man, 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 man. Um, no, it's gone. Sorry. <laughs> no, gone. no problem. No problem. The thing is, it could, it could be one of those. It could be Donald Trump himself. I mean, I uh-huh. hope he doesn't. I, I hope he has the common sense not to run again. We, I mean, we have one president who is pro, right now who's probably too old for the job. Mm-hmm. And um, Trump, by the time he would take office, would be would be even worse. Um, you know, no, let's not go there. In fact, I, I, we, we really need to start talking about um, looking at an upper age limit for president simply because it's an mm-hmm. incredibly demanding job. And at a certain mm-hmm. point, you need to say, no, you need to go retire. Right. But but yeah, whoever it is, unless, yeah, 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 unless they can uh, unless the the holders of power can extract their heads from between their nether cheeks with an uh, with an audible popping sound mm-hmm. unless they actually notice what's going on outside the bubble we're we're just going to keep on getting the same thing and the next one might not be as easily removed the next one might not be as as willing to more or less follow the you know the the mm-hmm. various legal restrictions. So, do we actually do we actually adapt? Do we actually recognize the, the what has been done to the working classes in this country and help them out, and or just simply stop funneling all the money up the social ladder? Which is, I mean, the, the re, very simply, the reason we have so many people who are desperately poor is because we have so many people who are insanely rich. Nobody in the world needs $1 billion. No one. Okay. It, it doesn't, there is no conceivable use for that much money. It's pure abstraction by that point. Right. Um, nobody needs that kind of money. The fact that we have developed a society that mostly produces immense poverty and misery on the one hand and a small number of godzillionaires on the other, it shows that our society is failing. And until we fix that, one way or the other, until we stop that constant hemorrhage of money up the up the ladder, mm-hmm. we're just going to have one crisis after another. Boy, it seems like we're in line for a lot of crises. Oh um, yeah, and just... and that you know there, there's there are lots of reasons why we're facing crises right now. It would be nice if we could do so with some level of national unity, but as long as we are divided so heavily on on the basis of class, on the basis of a whole range of things, we're not going to do it. No, we're not. So where do you see us going from here moving forward? Okay, if we can move forward. Now, I'm going to I'm going to start with a with a positive. Okay, let's start with a vision that people can um that people can actually look toward. And the vision is that we start seeing people in the political sphere and people outside the political sphere Paying attention to the driving causes of all this problem, paying attention to the way that the working classes have been um, impoverished and immiserated for the last 50 years in this country. Start saying, okay, um, we need to 
redo our immigration policy so we, you know, so we let in people who really need to come here legally, mm-hmm. but don't bring, don't have these all these loopholes in places to bring in a, a huge underclass of people who have no legal rights and can, thus can be used to drive down wages and benefits. I mean, I, I'm very much in favor of immigration. I want to see it above board. I want to see every immigrant have the right to a minimum wage, mm-hmm. which they don't now. Of course, the illegal ones don't have the right to that, and that's why they're that's why um, the rich encourage the, them to you know have, have set things up to bring so many of them in, so they can they can work them at sweatshop wages. But let's mm-hmm. see a, let's see an America where we're actually making sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen, where we've bro- we we don't have the extreme profiteering at the expense of most people, where at least we establish the goal of maybe that's not the way to do things anymore. Maybe we can't afford that as a nation. Okay, we recognize that. We recognize that as a people. We recognize that as as cities and states and as a nation. And we start passing laws and, more importantly, enforcing the laws we already have. To um, to break up the huge internet combines, which are which are such money sucks. Um, to and to to do all the other things that we should have been doing all along, to make sure that in this country, if you can work an honest day's uh, shift, you get an honest day's wage. Mm-hmm. That right there, that right there will take care of like three quarters of our social problem because people who are not starving, people who know that they'll be able to feed their kids are not going to throw their support to an extremist on, of either side. Right. They're not going to be rioting in the streets. They don't have to. They're not desperate. So imagine, but imagine people really taking a hard look at, at, at what America has become and saying, no, this is not the country we want to inhabit. Let's look at making it better. Let's please give up this fantasy of being the world's policeman. We can't afford it. It hasn't worked. We saw how much good 20 years of investment in Afghanistan did us yeah. a while ago. Yeah. Um, let's ditch that whole thing. That, you know, obviously, we, we need a foreign policy. We need to interact with especially our neighboring countries. We can't just turn into a hermit country, but we don't have to have troops in 194 countries, which we currently do. Okay. And so with that money and with the money we save from, from doing that, maybe we can lower some taxes. Maybe we can um, redirect some investment into domestic um, expenditures. Maybe we can look at making this a better country again. We're coming up on our 250th anniversary of independence. 2026 is the 200, 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Maybe this is a good time to stop recalibrate, look at those words about liberty and justice for all and say, okay, maybe we, can, maybe we should try, try that a little harder this time. And I think really if we can do that, if we can start looking at the mistakes we've made for the last half century and correcting those mistakes, if we can look at why we've turned into a two-tier society with a minority of people who are really high on the hog and millions and millions of people who have to worry about feeding their kids, if we can look at that and say, no, we're going, to make, we're going to do better this time, then I think we can move forward. I think we can move forward as a nation. And I think by doing so, we're going to benefit not only ourselves, but other nations. Just you know, a, a stable, relatively prosperous United States that is no longer interfering in everybody else's political affairs, but is available for trade. And you know, selling our ex- selling our exports of, of food products, especially to a hungry world, and this kind of stuff, we could do a lot of good in the world. 
The alternative is we continue along our current course. The people in power say, we know what we're doing, and shut up, you yokels. Um, the yokels <laughs> get angrier and angrier, and we move toward an explosion of one kind or another. Um, it could be a takeover by somebody else, um, charismatic and unprincipled, who might have the equivalent of a toothbrush mustache this time. <laughs> um, it could, you know, seriously, it could be um, domestic insurgency. We yeah. could be facing a situation where people who are sufficiently desperate um, take their guns, go to the hills, and launch a guerrilla war. Um, that would shred this nation's economy. It would shred the nation. It's, and as we saw in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Vietnam, I could go on for a long time. Fighting it is extremely hard. We could see outright civil war. I don't want any of those things. I don't think any sane person wants any of those things. And so... Maybe we should. What I'd like to encourage everybody is to stop, take a deep breath, recognize that there is, there are people on both sides of all of these various lines, who are people of goodwill, and they're the people who, you know, the the, the deplorables out there. They are where they are because they've been driven into poverty. Mm. Let's fix that. Let's not. Let's stop just screaming. Oh, you horrid deplorable. You know, let's find out, okay, why are they this poor? Why are they this miserable? Why have, you know, do they have the opportunities? No, they don't. Do they have the jobs? No, they don't. Do they know where their, ne their child's next meal is coming from too often? No, they don't. Fix that, and you won't have the political crisis that we're currently dealing with. Okay, well, um, I truly hope and pray that people will start to wake up, you know, um, change yeah. business is, you know, basically... Um, what you've been sharing with us today. Now, when we go to your site, and that is ecosophia, E-C-O-S-O-P-H-I-A dot net, what are we going to find? Dot net. Okay, what you're going to find on Ecosophia is a weekly post by me. I, I post every Wednesday, mm -hmm. and um, it's, it's on a range of subjects. Originally, I started posting back in 2006, um, and I was mostly in the, at that time talking about um, where industrial society was headed. Um, you know, this was this was in the run up to the second oil crisis. We're in the run up to the third right now, but that's another point. And this was in the run up to that, and people were just starting to sink in that maybe um, back in the seventies when people said we were going to run short on oil, maybe they had a point. <laughs> And so I was writing about that. I was writing about the future. I was talking about, okay, here are these various claims being made. So it was very future-oriented. And more recently, um, I ended up switching from, from that old blog, the Archwood Report, to my current one, ecosophia.net. Um, and complicated, long, complicated story there. And so I talk at this point, there's a certain amount of politics. There's a certain amount of economics. I'll be talking more economics um, in, the, in the months to come. Um, there's a certain amount of, um, of occultism. I talk about magic quite a bit. Um, every, uh, every second Wednesday, in fact, is a book club where we're working our way through one of the classics of occult literature. In this case, it's, it's The Doctrine and, and, and Ritual of High Magic by Eliphas Levy, which is one of, the, one of the classic French books on the subject. It's in English. I helped translate mm -hmm. it. <laughs> and so, so there's some... There, yeah, so there's some magic, and there's some politics, and there's some philosophy, and there's some where are we headed, and what, and who would be crazy enough to want to go there, and all kinds of stuff like that. It's kind of lively. Okay, so it's very um, enlightening and entertaining, and you know, folks. Uh, I, I 
try to be. There are too many people out there who their idea is, if I simply drone at you long enough, you will decide that I'm a very deep thinker. And that just strikes me as dull. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, make it make it entertaining. Make it. The thing is, I also write fiction. I also write. I write in a range of fields. I, I as a as a professional writer, I can't afford to be boring. So I try to keep my. I try to make my blogs accordingly. Okay. Well, you've definitely done it with the King and Orange, the Magical and the Cold Roots of Political Power, folks. If this subject is of interest to you at all, or magic is of interest to you at all, read this book because you will have a um, different perspective, if you will, um, <laughs> on the spectrum right now, but it allows you, if you choose to think, and the thinking causes the change mm -hmm. in consciousness. So, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the point of this book is not to make people agree with me, okay? Right. The point of this book is to raise some issues that have not been talked about and to get people thinking. And so I, I said when, when, I, when I gave this one, when I gave the manuscript to the publisher, I said, this book will be thrown across the room more often than anything <laughs> else I have ever written. It's a very aerodynamic book. And so, and, and, and it's true. You know, I've, I've received, it's really funny because, of course, I, I check my reviews on Amazon and, and uh, Goodreads and places like that. And there's a lot of five-star reviews. And then there are these one-star reviews saying, this is an awful book. Mm -hmm. So I know that it's working because if people are getting that angry, they're actually, they're actually realizing that I'm challenging them. Yep. And um, let that sink in for a second, folks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> some challenging information just allow it to say oh yeah no no this if yeah no if in this if this book if you were if you are stuck on if you, if you believe that whatever you see on CNN is the absolute truth oh god <laughs> the, yeah well yeah but if you believe that and some Americans do you are going to find this book very very hard going <laughs> Yeah. On the other hand, if you believe that everything you see on Fox News is the absolute truth, you're going to find this book almost as hard going then too. Mm -hmm. I want to raise some questions. I want to I want to challenge some presuppositions. I want to ask hard questions about how we got ourselves backed into a situation where mm -hmm. half the American people ended up supporting um, a World Wrestling Federation um, <laughs> announcer for President of the United States. The United States. Just let that sink in for a little while. How desperate do people have to be before that seems like a good idea? Uh, yeah, and it's interesting. <laughs> the time of uh, <laughs> he was running and I would interview, you know, folks from other countries. They would say, you know, everybody's laughing at the United States. How could you possibly put this person in, you know, office or even consider? Uh -huh. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm, but uh -huh, yeah. we yeah, did. But that's, that, that's, that's just it. And people, and in, by, by immediately going to the assumption that everybody who voted for him must be a Ku Klux Klan member, when the Ku Klux Klan is not that big, I think people are dodging the real story. I think people are, are, are not paying attention to why were people that desperate? Why were people so desperate mm -hmm. that, that that was, that that seemed like a good idea? Yeah. And to ask that and to actually face it and actually look at where we are as a nation and what has happened, that, that, will shake, that will shake you. And it should. This country needs to be shaken, especially mm -hmm. those people who are in the relatively comfortable um, position, who are relatively prosperous, especially those who got there by way of their social class, to speak of that thing. Um, 
they need to be shaken a little bit. They need to uh, to have a wider consciousness of what has been going on. Doesn't mean that anybody has to like take the blame. It means we need to look for, look forward and say, okay, how are we going to fix this? Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't want um, the color, if you don't want to see the color orange too much again, you need mm-hmm. to change the conditions that made him seem plausible. And until that happens, we're going to see more of it. Yeah. And folks, you got to get involved on some level. Okay. Yeah. And if it's just yeah. talking to other people and understanding a different perspective, just because you understand a perspective doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. The number, the number of people, and, and the, here I think, I think one of the, one of the things that, that, any kind of inner spirituality can really give people here is the ability to be confident in their own beliefs, confident in their own mental space, so they can listen to somebody else's reality and say, okay, I understand that that's how the world looks like to you. It doesn't look that way to me and not get upset about it. Mm-hmm. I think we have too many people who live too much outwardly and not inwardly. They've never looked at themselves. They've never taken the time to to really sort through what do they believe when CNN or, or Fox News, take your pick, isn't talking at them. And so they're very brittle in terms of their beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so they, can't, they have a hard time listening to somebody without either believing whatever they say or, or you know, flipping out. So mm-hmm. th- this is one of those places where, where you know, the intuitive, where the spiritual, where just, just reflection and time, you know, time spent by yourself with the, with the television, please, turned off. Yes, and if you are a news junkie and you need to look at it 24-7, fine. However, consider looking at it from the point of feeling where the commentator's words are hitting you and does it sound true? And then do mm-hmm. your own exploring behind it. Do some investigation behind it, okay? Mm-hmm. You, this is so far a free country, so we can do it. Take advantage of the freedoms that we have here, because you know, exactly, understand, exactly, you might not be able to do that. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I I like to encourage people to find at least two. I mean, I, I typically get my news um, off websites. Mm-hmm. I find that much less intrusive than the television. I can I can pick and choose which stories I get. And so, folks, he didn't say I'll Facebook. Find, <laughs> yeah, but you see, I'll find um, a couple of different news sites that are as different as possible mm-hmm. in their opinions. Mm-hmm. Something from the far left and something from the far right. And then a couple of foreign ones with their own completely different opinions. Because mm-hmm. that way, you're not just getting the party line coming out of, of you know, the comfortable classes. You're getting a, diverse, a diversity of opinions. And then you actually have to think, oh, the horror. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, but we need to get back to thinking. We got to get back to that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And John, I could talk to you all day, but our time is up. I really greatly appreciate you being here today. And I'm truly honored, first of all, that you came. And thank you so much for the great information that you shared. I greatly appreciate it. And I know the audience. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I've had a great time. I hope the audience enjoyed this as much as I did. Oh, I know that they will. Um, And to the audience, thank you for joining us. Um, Appreciate your time. Appreciate your attention. And remember, folks, the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of um, expanding your consciousness. Above the blessings, light and love to all. Not pain.